Hello. Hold on one second. Hold on. Let me just. Hey, everybody. It is Lenora from It's a New Dawn. And here I am again. And I am very blessed to be able to do this. And um, just let you know, I look very dark, very dark, because I'm doing this all myself, you guys. And I have a, I'm in my tiny home that I'm going to rent out eventually. Some of you know about this little tiny home. This is my, my bare picture, set up like a cabin, like my main home. But I have a little ring light and for some reason, sometimes it just goes off on me. So I apologize that I look dark, but my guest doesn't look dark. Um, my guest today is Dylan Sessler. His name is Dylan Sessler. And I've met him from, you guys know, from TikTok. Um, my goal is to bring people on here to connect and have support. And through that connection may make a difference in even one person's life, even one, um, which would mean the world to me. So Dylan Sessler, I'll tell you a little bit of how I came upon him. Um, I was doing a podcast with a gentleman, um, Marty, Marty B, um, the Good Vibe Show, which is a great podcast also. Um, I did six, I think six installments with him. Um, I met him through TikTok also, and I went on there as an RN, holistic health coach, giving some, you know, health and wellness advice, but Dylan was a guest on there twice, right? Twice. And uh, that's how I connected to him on TikTok. And I want to say he is a motivational speaker, but you're going to find out he's a lot more than that, because I know that. Um, but what drew me to him specifically was his calm and soothing demeanor on how to, how to address people and to help them. And as an RN, and I talk about this a lot, and it was one of the things I talked about in my last little uh, snippet on health and wellness was bringing the nervous system down. Um, we are in constant state of fight or flight. And for somebody who, has, who is dealing with PTSD, myself and anxiety from all the trauma I had in my life. Um, I preach restorative yoga and that will, that type of yoga is going to bring your body system down. And I, I don't know the connection that I had with you, Dylan, and your voice, it means so much the energy that you give to people in helping them and the way you go about it. So it really drew me to, to him. And I'm also, I'm going to start out just reading a um, answer that he gave, and this will just give you an example of how sweet he is and how kind he is. And um, this is from, say the name of the site again, Cura? Cura? Cura. 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 Yeah. <laughs> it, it's spelled Q-U-O-R-A, and I guess people writing questions, and of course I was doing my little study about uh, Dylan and about him, but the answer that I gave was so kind. And the, the question was, what do you say when someone tells you they are autistic? And he said, I don't change anything. They are a human being and deserve every respect anyone else deserves, regardless of what condition, disability, disorder, illness, etc. someone might have does not determine how I treat them. I treat everyone with three things, empathy, love, and kindness. Empathy allows me to learn how best to feel with them, Kindness shows me where, what I can learn from them. 
Love allows me to bring out the best of them. And above all, you can learn anything from every human being. Judgment is a quick way to become ignorant. Don't fall into that trap. And I'm going to cry. I'm very sensitive. Jim. <laughs> but I, I just love that. I'm not going to do that, people. I'm not going to cry. But because I've cried on like other podcasts. But right? How wonderful is that? So yeah, I... we're, we're going to find out Dylan's story. <laughs> and as usual, what I do is I do my introduction. And uh, this was quite a long one. But I'm going to turn the camera over to you, Dylan, and tell everybody about your story and what brought you to where you are today. Certainly. Um, well, first off, thank you for all of the, the kind words. Um, the, the quote that, that you read, honestly, was long enough ago. And because I do so much everywhere, um, I had forgotten what I had written. And that is, it's honestly, it, it hits me again reading that back and, and still like knowing that I'm still in that place of, of, I feel that like I'm, I'm, I think I'm always going to feel that. And I, I truly, I do my very best, you know, you can't do it every day. You can't do it every minute, but I do my very best to embody what I say. Um, especially when it's as deep as that. Um, so I guess to, to answer your question, where I came from is, is such a deep, a deep story, but I'll try and I'll try and shave it down and try and try and put it into our context because I think I think what you do specifically, especially with PTSD, has a lot of a lot of things that I haven't actually talked about um, in in a lot of depth of where I've come from and what what kind of brought me here. So I'll start from the beginning. Um, at six years old. I, I was put in the incredibly tragic position to, to have to face my, my father's suicide. Um, I, I remember walking downstairs and, and walking into a kitchen with my mother, my sister, and my father all standing there. Um, and my father looked at all of us and, and basically told us the last lie that he was ever going to tell anyone of, I'll, I'll be home tomorrow and I love you. So I had to... I had to look at that situation. And for me, in that moment, I recognized immediately that he wasn't coming back. There was, there was nothing that that I could do about it. I, you know, I cried in front of him, I grabbed him, I told him not to leave. But there was, there was this overwhelming sensation of he's not coming back. And I know it and I need to stop him, but I couldn't. Um, so there's this this powerful emotion of helplessness um, and just complete, complete loss of control in, in, in what was happening in my life was, was compounding and just punching me in the face. Um, How did with, you realize that? How did you realize that at six years old that this was not the truth? Honestly, I don't know. That's, that's such a, that's a question I think I'm always going to never have an answer for. Um, unless the answer literally is, that's just how I can, I mean, that's just who I am. Um, I've always been able to walk, I've always been able to walk up to someone and really know who they are within the first five minutes. Um, the way you speak to yourself and the way you speak about yourself really shows me a lot of things, um, because I listen and I observe you. Um, so it's very, 
I'm very intuitive. Um, I actually, I'm going to be putting up a video either today or tomorrow on TikTok um, talking about me as, as my personality. I'm an INFJ. I don't know if you know anything about the 16 personalities tests. Um, um, I do. I do a little bit. Um, but if you want to go into it, you can. Sure. Yeah. Um, basically, I guess I'm going to have to I have to remember what that is. And so INFJ means introverted, intuitive feeling and judging. Um, and it's the, it's the rarest personality type. It's like one and a half percent of, of all people are INFJs. Um, they, we are incredibly intuitive to how people are feeling emotionally. Um, so maybe that's just my personality. Maybe that's just me. Um, but I recognized it immediately. In, in, in my dad, um, you know, body language goes a long way and words don't. And, and that's what I've, what I've really learned throughout my life is I've spent a majority of my life understanding people and, and learning about people and, and diving into what people do and why they do it. So, you know, this is more or less my life's work. Um, and this is, you know, right now I'm just embodying the the actual passion that I have for understanding people with the job that I do. Um, and what that, I guess what my, what the beginning of my story really taught me um, was this, well, one, it gave me PTSD and I didn't, I didn't understand that for 20 years. Um, I just had no, I had no understanding of what PTSD was for mm. really until I joined the military, but it, it brought me to this, this perspective that life is finite, right? Like there is, there is no guarantee that you're going to last. Um, there is no, you know, happiness is not a guarantee. Um, joy is not a guarantee. And what I learned early on is that, you know, tragedy is a guarantee, pain, struggle, suffering, it's all guaranteed. Right. If there's anything that's guaranteed, it's those it's those four things. It's pain and struggle, suffering and, and tragedy. Violence in some way is also guaranteed. Um, and and I I embraced that early on, but I didn't know how to overcome it. That was that was part of my journey is 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 facing this idea that all of these things, all of these very bad things are what life is about. And if you really want to overcome them, you have to do the work to get over, like to get over those obstacles. Um, otherwise, you are going to live a life of tragedy. You are going to live a life of pain, of suffering, of struggle. Um, and the only person that can really get you out of it is you. Um, I learned that at six, which people don't do. You know, like it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, it, it is. Um, mm -hmm. And I've, mm -hmm. I've. I've always, you know, I'm kind of coming to this, this understanding of what my purpose has been. Um, I've always known it, but I've never really embraced it. Um, I've always wanted to be the person that I needed as a child. So I'm kind of stepping into this, this role of, I need to go find the people that need me because I needed me back then. You know, no one was there for me in terms of the, the intelligence level and the, um, the emotional intelligence and the, the, the wisdom and the knowledge that I provide people now and the support um, and the empathy, really, really it's the empathy. Um, 
no one was there for me that, that I allowed. Right. And that's the biggest thing is that people offered, Hey, I'm going to, I'm there for you. If you ever need to talk, I'm there, but there was no empathy behind that statement. It was always just, Hey, I'm there. Awesome. Oh my God. That's so huge. What you're saying. That's so huge. Right. Like the thought behind that, like really showing that empathy, like people say that all the time, but you don't feel that. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and, and part of it, you know, part of my, part of my life was choice, right? Like I made the conscious choice to not go to those people, which is my fault, right? Like I, I fully understand the, the fault at which I chose to go down this route. Um, but I also fully understand that empathy was not an option in my life, that, that people said they would be there. And at the same time, didn't see the pain that I was in, didn't see the struggle that I was in, never said anything. Um, and that's certainly, there's no blame to be, to be placed upon that. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, and knowing that, knowing all of what I had to go through, I look at people now and I don't ask, how are you for no reason? I ask, how are you? But then when you, what you decide to answer with, I look deeper right? Like oftentimes I have stepped into like some kind of depth of conversation that I never expected just by asking, right? Like someone says, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm doing all right. Or I'm good. And I'm, and I ask, are you really though? You don't seem like it. And, and that depth just explodes, right? Like there's, there's this, this moment and this like recognition in their eyes that someone actually understands that they're not feeling good because it's so easy for me to see now, like I did it for 19 years. I, I hid myself behind this facade of, of emotions for 19 years that it's so simple for me to walk up to someone and understand that they're not having a good day. And people are caught so off guard by that. I'm so bored by that. I love that because how often I do it like, Hey, how you doing? Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, whoever answers, Oh no, I'm I'm really not doing okay. My my dog is really sick and my daughter right. is you know, but you get in there, you get in that depth and it's so mm-hmm. important. That's so yeah. important. Who does that? That's really great. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's just something I never saw. Right. I don't know where I learned that. I don't know how I did that, how I began that. I just I guess for me, it goes back to, to seeing my dad and knowing, I think, I think really realistically, I do know where it came from. It came from not asking my dad that and knowing that if, if someone had asked him that question, maybe that would have changed a life. And that's, I think where it comes from. I think knowing, knowing I could do nothing for my father, right? Like there was, there's always, going to be a sense of failure in, in what happened with that, but there will never be a sense of blame, right? Like there's no, there's no fault of mine, but at the same time, there is failure in which the people around him failed to, to really support him and, and show him what I do now. And, and what I really offer and what I'm seeing more is that I offer an environment of expression and openness where no one else really does. 
Like there's a reason that people are, are guided to me because I show people it's okay to actually talk about the bad things. Mm-hmm. It's okay to actually have conversations about terrible things because I'm not here to judge you. I don't know anything about your story. I don't know anything about what you've been through. All I know is that the darkness sucks. The pain sucks, right? All of it sucks. And if, and if I can be the help that you need to get over and get through that, let me help. I'm not going to sit here and judge you. I'm going to sit here with you and help you through it. And that's just, that's just who I've always been. But the difference between me now and me 15 years ago and 10 years ago and even five years ago is that I've overcome mine, right? I've overcome PTSD. I've overcome depression. I've overcome anxiety. Um, I've overcome like suicide, right? Like we haven't even gotten to that part of my story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And, and all of that makes me, I guess, some kind of a, it makes me dangerous to people because I step into places that, that I know a lot about and people are, are just like, they don't know, like they don't know how to handle me sometimes is that I step into places that they have never had anyone step into. And I do it sometimes through text. Sometimes I do it through calls. Sometimes I do it through zoom. Sometimes I do it through, um, you know, DMS or, or comments, right? Like I've had people, I've stepped into places in comments that people were like, holy crap, right? Like, I don't know how to handle this guy. Um, and it, and it puts, it puts people in a situation which they have to more or less see a different perspective. And that's what I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I'm, I'm in such a, an interesting position in life being a 30 year old man dealing with oftentimes people that are 10, 15, 20, 30 years older than me, um, supporting them through situations that happened 40 years ago. Um, and it's, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not judging that, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that and, and understanding something that, that generations deal with emotions in much different ways. And we're, I think we're going through a massive transition. And this is actually what's going to be, what's my, what my second book is going to be about is, is going through this massive transition of leadership and understanding that there, there is, there's a new way of doing things. And that's not silencing people. It's not telling people to shut up and, and suffer in silence. There's, there's new ways of overcoming this. And really that came from social media. Um, oh yeah, so it's, it's so different today. It is so different today. Right. I mean, I don't know if you know my story, but you know, I, know I was abused by a priest. Yeah, I was sexually abused by a priest, and uh, my brother killed himself. He was in Vietnam War. He had at home in the next room, right next to me. Um, we were silent. We are a family of eleven. Yeah. We um nobody talked about it and listening to your story about um i don't know the part of it but the way i how did your brother die i couldn't talk about it couldn't talk about suicide well that wasn't even i couldn't say oh he committed suicide oh he was in vietnam war that's the way i described it that was it you know so i'm so grateful for what you do and so many people do because we're 
we're talking about it exactly what you just said i wanted to shut up because i was like yes nodding my head yes 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 because we got to talk about this stuff we cannot be silent we cannot be silent so thank you for doing what you do of course the body the body keeps score of of all the things that we hold on to and it's the i've been saying this more more a lot lately um the the things that you hold inside are the things that usually destroy us and it's it i mean that's it was true with me it's been true with so many people that i've talked to um and and that's what my story is really about it's it's about me watching a man destroy himself like in front of me um, for six years and then i learned everything that i knew from him and i almost did it myself 19 years later i mean it was and that's 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 what children do is that we observe and we listen and we learn and we watch but mostly we watch because we can't understand what words actually mean at that age we don't understand the you know the the small details that that are required we don't know how to define things we don't know how to um, really critically think at that age. So what happens is we watch and we learn from the people that actually do these things, right? If you, if you, you know, the statistics, statistics show that if, if you lose a parent to suicide, you're more likely to, to, to commit suicide yourself, right? Like if you, if you were, uh, physically abused as a child, you're more likely to be an abuser as an adult. Like, the things that happen at a young age are just continued in later in life because we watch them and it becomes okay in some way. And when we remain silent about these things, we don't allow ourselves to open up to different perspectives. So you hear me a lot in my content and my, and, and discussions, you hear me talk about perspective a lot. Um, and I don't think people really understand the word. I don't think they they truly understand the meaning behind what perspective really is. Perspective is another person's view of something. And if you're able to take your view of reality, right? Like we are here today and you look at my story and this is my perspective. You have your own story. You have the view of which you have looked at all your life and it's a hardened view more or less very very difficult to change a perspective but when i walk into your life and i start looking at what you've been through if i'm judging you there's really like it's your perspective's hardened immediately the the walls are up and you're like i don't want anything to do with that but then when i walk in and i'm non-judgmental and i'm just listening to you and i'm and i'm learning about you and then i ask you the question of you know what is it that hurt you the most in all of that story and it's and it's this and then i start asking questions and i start giving you feedback about what it is that you really think about yourself and that's why at the beginning i was like hey the the, the i watch people i listen to people i learn from people before i ever really speak and as i as i step into a conversation i learn someone within five minutes i realize the power of that situation the, the power in which I'm using, um, I'm able 
to show people a different perspective by being non-judgmental, by opening up an environment of expression, by opening up like an environment of openness and honesty that people give me this story and what I do with it, what I've done with myself really, this is why I listen to myself, I started here, is that I, I show them very simply that you can rewrite how you look at your story. You can take the things that have happened to you and you can either look at yourself as it was punishment for what I've done, or you can look at yourself and realize that you are a survivor of all of it, that you've made it through, that you've overcome, that you, you're allowed to change how you think, right? You can't change what happened to you. You can't change the circumstance. You can change the attitude and that perspective, right? That view of, of that hardened life that you've lived slowly begins to transition into something that can actually su support you and sustain you through life. Whereas, I, you know, I go back to the body keeps score. If you are silent, you are not learning. If you are, if you are not talking about the things that you need to talk about, um, if you are not open to some kind of criticism, criticism, even if it's non-judgmental, you won't change that perspective and you will crush yourself with your silence. There's a reason that people like the, the, the phrase deafening silence exists. It's because mm -hmm. you're not meant to hold that in. You're meant to express. We are social beings and you, it, it's required in our lives. That's what society yeah. exists upon. So it's just, I've, I've found myself in a very, very interesting position in life, stepping into a role that I honestly, before, before five to 10 years ago, never thought was possible because I never thought I'd make it to 30, right? Like my, my dad committed suicide at 33. I didn't think I'd make it to 20, 26. I never thought I'd make it to 27 or 30. And here I am. So it's, how did it's, you make uh, it? To, how did you make it to 30? How did you make it to this age? And tell me. Stubborn. Tell me. I'm stubborn. <laughs> I'm, I'm incredibly stubborn. Um, so after my dad died, I, I made four rules. Um, and keep in mind, I was six, seven, eight years old. So this kind of, this kind of all came out in, and just, in the response that I had to what my father did. Um, my father was an alcoholic. He was ad addicted to tobacco. He did drugs, um, severely depressed, potentially bipolar and um, like back then multiple personality disorder. Um, mm -hmm. Like it's, I think it's borderline personality disorder now. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that, I, I learned all of that at a young age, six, seven, eight years old. And I made four rules. Number one, I will not drink alcohol. Number two, I will not, I will not do tobacco. Number three, I will not do drugs. Number four, I will not commit suicide. Those rules really saved my life for the first 25 years of my life. Um, I thought about suicide every single day after six years old, whether it was my dad's suicide or my own. Um, there was the suicidal ideation was a real thing for me. Um, every single day I thought about death. Every single day I thought about either killing myself or, or thought about like very intimately 
thinking about how my dad killed himself. I had nightmares for the first two years until I just stopped sleeping. Um, and what it ended up happening is like my, my REM cycle <laughs> shut down more or less. Oh at, yeah. At, I was going to say, I mean, sleep. You're not so, getting that sleep. That's right. going to make you. So I, I lived, I've lived most of my life with less than four hours of sleep a, a night. Um, and that persists still because I think my body's just so used to it at this point. I get REM sleep. I get, I get deep sleep now, but it's a lot less than most people. Um, but I'm, I'm very energized. I'm very, very happy. Um, so I, I, I don't see it really as a problem. Um, I'm definitely going to like right now I cannot do it because of the, how the military I'm, I'm working for the military right now. Um, I would like to do a sleep study at some point and see what, see what my body's doing at, at night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but, but realistically, like I'm, I'm, I'm happy with what I get. I can, I can survive on two hours, but I'm very happy with four hours of sleep at night. And I get that consistently, but I stopped dreaming at, at eight years old, nine years old. And I would sleep two hours a night, you know, or two hours at a time. Sometimes I'd break that up where I'd sleep two hours, wake up, sleep two hours. Um, mm -hmm. And more or less just, you know, struggle between, between those, those two sleep, sleep times. Um, and, and realistically, like those rules held me in place. They, they were the guiding principles of my life. And I have never to this day, right? 30 years old, I've never touched alcohol. I live in Wisconsin. I'm an infantryman in the army. So the chances of drinking alcohol are pretty high for both of those. <laughs> um, and I've never touched it. I've never touched tobacco. I've never touched outside of like just the prescription drugs that I've had for like knee surgeries. Um, I've never touched them. Um, but obviously suicide was the, it was the hard one, you know, the drugs, alcohol, tobacco, not a problem for me. The, I mean, that was, if there's a hardened perspective, that's it. There was, there's no option for that. I like some, when I was a kid, I wouldn't even touch rum cake. I was so afraid of becoming my father. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. and so I, I held those those principles to be just so strong. I became so st stubborn and, and after my father, my mom met another man, um, that, that abused me, um, you know, for anything I did wrong, I was hit many times with a belt, um, typically an old cowboy Western style belt. So it was like two inch thick belt, um, always hard leather. There would be times where I'd go to school and I couldn't sit directly on my butt or my legs because, because of how he hit me. I mean, back of my knees to all the way to the small of my back. Um, and for and what, why would it, why would he hit you? Why? For, for anything. If I didn't do chores, if I didn't do, you know, if I didn't do what he said, um, it, I mean, it was, it was always discipline focused. It just wasn't necessary for most of it. No. Um, and is okay. to, to me, it was extremely unempathetic having known what my dad had done, right? Really what I needed was a supportive father figure. Um, and he never became that because he would hit me. Um, so I would, I would, I would take the pain 
And after the first few times I stopped crying because I wanted to spite him. And it was just that stubbornness that came out of me. He taught me stubbornness. He taught me, he taught me the, that pain was not, um, how do I say this? I didn't, I didn't need to fall to pain. I didn't need to, I didn't need to shriek. I didn't need to scream. I didn't need to yell. I didn't need to cry. I could take it. And I, and I learned that very early and my mom never knew that he hit me. It was always, I didn't know that. Um, I actually learned that in my twenties, but you know, and I, and I heard that in the other podcast and that made me so sad because what must've been going through your head? Well, why isn't my mom protecting me? Why, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just another thing that you had to add to what has already tragic happened in your life was that where was my mom? Why isn't my mom protecting me? Why is she still with this man? And, And she didn't know. Right. that whole time so that must have really been so detrimental to your mom too mm-hmm. to find out so sad being a mom myself I mean I can't even imagine I'm really yeah. sorry that happened to you that's horrible yeah and it's you know honestly I'm it was necessary right all of I see all of what I have been through as 100% necessary to be the man I am right now. Um, so it, I always find it interesting when people tell me I'm, you know, they apologize to me and I, I just don't, I don't see it that way anymore. You know, a long time ago, I might've taken that, but, but realistically, I don't want to change anything about what has happened to me because I'm here doing something that I, I don't think I ever could have done had my father not committed suicide, having, having not had that understanding of pain that he taught me, um, having not been bullied in high school or went to war. Like, I am not apologetic for any of the things that I have been through. And that is what makes me different from people that I help, is that those people are afraid and hate the things that they've been through. And I do not, not anymore. And it took me a long time. You know, I agree with you. I agree with you, Dylan, hundred percent. You sound like you, you sound like me. (laughs) I say the same thing. I am so grateful for everything that has happened in my life because I know that I would not be not even a quarter of as appreciative of my life, my breath, my body, my strength, if I had not gone through all of that. I know it. I know it. But people aren't there. And you're helping them get there. And I'm hoping that I'm helping people too through sharing like this. But Um, you hit hit it right on the nose because we got to go through stuff like that to be who we're going to be. You know? That's why I want to hear the stories. In- yeah, to 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 truly impact people, so, you know, they need something to resonate with, and that you know, my story is what resonates. It's it's what brings me closer to people. It's what people look to to realize that I'm not I'm not bullshitting them. I'm not throwing, you know, I'm not throwing out just lies. I'm 
I lived it. I, I, I worked it. I, I did the work for the last five years to overcome everything. Right. And I'm in a good place. I'm in, I'm in the best place I've ever been. And if mm-hmm. I stop doing all of what I do right now, I'm still in a good place because I can mm-hmm. adapt. It's the, it's the idea that it doesn't matter. Like, honestly, I've thought about this. Like I had a, I had a, a, a close uh, childhood friend of mine die of cancer a couple of days ago. Oh my um, God. I'm so sorry. And I'm so sorry. it happens. Right. Um, we fell out of touch uh, a while ago and, and, you know, it's, um, life happens and we, we can't stay in touch with everyone, but he was a good man. Um, I've thought about this. If I get cancer tomorrow, I'm still being me. I'm still going to continue to do what I do. Um, and that's, that's just who I am. Like I, I see, I see the things like I, I value the opportunity of being put in the hardest situations you can possibly be in to help people that until, until I die, until my life is taken from me, I'm going to show people that you can overcome. If you, you know, I, you know, I went to Afghanistan and I saw, I know we didn't even talk about the military. So talk (laughs) about that. Oh my gosh. Talk about that. And thank you for your service. I know you don't want to hear that because I heard it from (laughs) the other part but i thank you i do thank you so talk about the military talk about defy the darkness i mean i don't even know is that book out not quite nope okay yeah this is look we'll we'll get into that i'll let me talk about the military real quick so i was about to i'm i'm about to transition kind of into that realm um but i went to afghanistan so my first deployment was in kunar province was which is at the time like I wanted to go like I was, I, I, this was at a time, this was 2012. This was at a time where I was, I was getting to be at my darkest point where I was like, I need to go do something that might get me killed. I'm, I'm ready to just leave. I'm tired of following this. You know, it was about to swear there. Um, I'm tired of following this rule of not committing suicide. So I'm just going to go around it and go find something that will kill me. Like that was my mindset back then. Um, in 2012, I went to the one place on the planet that had, well, I shouldn't say on the planet, but in the country of Afghanistan that had the highest amputee rate. Um, and, you know, thinking back about what I was just saying earlier is like, now I'm fully willing to lose a leg if it means inspiring other people. I'm fully willing to do that. Like it, like I, if that opportunity presents itself to me and like I go, I go to Afghanistan again and I lose a leg, I'm coming back. Right. Like there is nothing that will stop me. You can take both legs if you want me to, if you want to, I will keep going. Um, that's my mindset right now. Um, I'm just in that place. But back then I wasn't and I don't have, I don't have any doubt about that either, Dylan. <laughs> I don't have any, there's not one smidgen of doubt about that. This, I believe this you. is, this is the 100%. kind of stuff I think about some, sometimes is that like my mindset is when I, you know, when I watch people on TikTok, when I watch, you know, when I watch people on social media that have dealt with difficult things, right? Like, um, I wish I could put myself in their position and and just show them like fuck it fuck all of it like 
I, I will show you that you can get through this and I will help you, right? Like I, I wish I could be everything so that I could show every single person that it's possible. Um, and that at this point, that's just, that's just me, you know, but, uh, but to have, to get to this point, I needed to see the, you know, I need to see the worst. Um, and Afghanistan, you know, that was, that was probably the worst. You know, I saw, saw my father walk out. I saw, you know, violence on myself. I saw bullying. I saw, you know, the pain and struggle of dealing with relationships ending and, and friendships ending. I saw all of that. Um, but I, I hadn't seen death like I did in Afghanistan. And that was always, that was always the hardest um, because that's, to me, that is where I really understood PTSD. That is where, that is where real anxiety came from for me. That's where real PTSD came from for me. Um, I understood that seeing my father walk out on me was, was, was PTSD. I mean, that was, that was a, a mental trauma in some ways. Um, but realistically to see, to see death in front of me was, was the real moment that, that changed my life. Um, that was perspective, right? You gain perspective from two things, either experience or from people, um, from, from discussion or, or from experience. And those experience will never, will never, I'm sorry, discussion will never match what experience can teach you. Um, and I, you know, talk about being in fight or flight mode. Um, we were talking about earlier being in fight or flight mode for, for most of your life from 2012 to probably 2016 or so. That's where I was. I was in fight mm -hmm. or flight mode at, mm -hmm. at all hours of the day. Um, when I came home from Afghanistan after the, the man that I saw um, was a triple amputee. He came in, he had, he had, the, the helicopter didn't show up as fast as it needed to, to save his life. And by the time he came to us, he was a, he was a big black dude. Um, but when he, when he showed up, he was whiter than he, than I was. Um, and, and that's what I remember is that he, there were no legs and there, there was half an arm. Um, oh so seeing that um, <sighs> is, I mean, it, it just changes you. It, it, you, you see, you see a piece of the world that, that is shut, you know, shaded from people's eyes or, or shut from people's eyes for, for obvious reasons. Um, and it, it, it breaks your heart because one, he was an American and he was, just, he was the first American I ever saw um, in, in any kind of pain, I guess. Um, or any kind of, yeah, I mean, in, he was the first American I saw die. Um, it was, it was tragic. He had a wife and, and I think three kids, um, a newborn. Um, and it was, you know, facing, so the re so facing the reality of what his kids and his, his wife and his family would, would feel, you know, he's been, was deployed for three different times to the same province of Kunar um and and didn't make it out um the the strength oh and the i guess the courage it takes to do that is just it's inspiring 
and understandably it was it was dangerous and he didn't make it through um and and that that moment stuck with me and it didn't always will but it's it's understood now the perspective of understanding what what happens it is what it is you know death mm -hmm. is you know it's to be expected it's to be understood you can't you can't hang yourself on it um and expect to live a happy life what i've done is is used it to inspire myself and the same with my friend lucas who died recently uh use it to inspire others to to move forward and and to speak and to open up because i'm not the only one that saw death in afghanistan um in fact mm -hmm. i was probably what i saw is the least of of the problems that most people see in afghanistan um mm -hmm. the idea of killing people or or seeing friends die he wasn't the the man i saw wasn't my friend um he was you know a brother in arms but i never knew him i never talked to him i never even knew his name until the day he died um i can't imagine what it's like for other people to actually see their friends die or their you know the the guys they call family their leaders yeah. um their subordinates right like the the guys below them can't imagine what that would be like but it's that's crazy you know it's it's perspective that allows you to move forward um you must grieve it's that's a necessity and you must speak on it you must discuss it you must expose it um but you must build a perspective to live for those people not you know, live with their memories holding you back. You know, the, the, the blame, like blame, regret, guilt, shame, all of it is, is just, it's toxic. It's, it's terrible. Um, and far too often, like I, I had survivor's guilt when I came home from Afghanistan, you know, I was, I was stuck in this place of always thinking that the enemy was around me of of not liking crowds of not liking to be around people um because i was afraid of what was going to come out i was afraid of hurting other people i was afraid of of falling apart in front of people because of the survivor's guilt um and i held all of that in um and until it it almost destroyed me you know it was it was three years after that 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 i really um that i really almost you know I ended all of what you see now. I almost did it. You know, I almost, I almost, I put a gun to my head and I, I pulled the trigger. Had to be 99% of the way, you know. I know that trigger better than any other gun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Where, wait, it, where were you when this happened? Tell me. So this, this was, this was after, this was during college. Um, so I was going to school at UW, uh, Wisconsin Whitewater um, for sociology and I was, I'd been through three ACL tears in three years after my deployment. So I was recovering from my third one. Um, and uh, well, how I, did you hurt your knee? How did you hurt your knees like that? First do? one. So the first one was immediately following deployment. I, I did some jujitsu while I was on leave. Um, a guy put me in a heel hook and, and my knee just popped out. Um, didn't feel anything. But obviously, an ACL tear is pretty a pretty solid injury for for what I do in the infantry. 
So I spent a year recovering from that. I did, did the surgery in Fort Knox and realistically Fort Knox was the darkest time of my life. Um, I never jump around all over the place, but this is Fort Knox was terrible. It was, it was the worst I've ever had it um, because I was alone. Um, it's where I first really understood PTSD. It was the first time I really understood that I had a problem. Um, and that quote that we talked about earlier. Yeah, I would like you to, you know, by heart, because I know you, right? Or do you need my help? Uh, I could probably, I wasn't thinking about it, but. Uh, um, you had this, you had this quote on your mirror. And, so it's a, right? it, it's yeah. a quote, it, it's a quote from Batman Begins. Um, and it's, it's basically, if you devote yourself to something else, something more, um, you become something else entirely legend. Mm -hmm. um, and I put that quote on a sticky note and I put it on my mirror and every single day I would look at that mirror at me and I'd look at that quote. Um, mm -hmm. And it was, it was the first time in my life that I had ever looked at myself as, as, as having a future. Right. I had always looked at myself as surviving every single day of my life. The only time I thought about tomorrow was when I had to do something for someone else. But it was the first time that I looked at myself and I looked at words and I connected the two. And it showed me it was the beginning. I think it was the beginning of my transformation, but I, I didn't empower it enough. I looked at it. And I looked at those words and I saw that I could become something. It was, it was the time when I really understood that I could connect with people, but I didn't understand the potential for it. Um, and I, and I felt things that I had never felt before. I had felt potential, right? I saw something within myself that I could do more. Um, and that, but I, but I empowered that for, for the wrong, I guess it wasn't the wrong thing, but I empowered it for something very specific and not overall. I empowered it for me to get out of Fort Knox because I knew it was a terrible environment. It was, I was living in a room alone. Um, I would have to see people, uh, I would have to go to a formation twice a day and then go to my appointments and that was it. Um, I didn't have a car, so I couldn't really do anything. Um, there was just nothing, nothing there for me. There was no support, even though they said like, Hey, we're here. You can always talk to us. There was no support there. Uh, it was, it was deafening silence. Right. Um, well, that's and, where you were able to hone in on your, your thoughts though. That's yeah, where spent, you were able, well, that's where you made that transition because spent, you were alone with your thoughts and you had nowhere else to go right? except those thoughts. Right. But it changed your life, didn't it? I spent 23 hours a day thinking i mean i could i mean i'm not saying it's easy but that's you had nowhere else to go so you had to deal with that and everything that was going on in your in your mind you had, you couldn't drown it out with music or with people right. or with internet or right right and that was, that was back in so that was back in 2013 where social media was a thing but it just wasn't the thing like it is yeah, now right where people mm -hmm. are really consumed with it, which is not, I don't think is a problem, but we can get to that. Um, the, the real, 
the real thought that crossed my mind every single day that I contemplated every single day was, was dying. I, at at one point, because Fort Knox is in Kentucky and I live in Wisconsin, I went out to to buy a gun. Couldn't do it because it was out of state. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that was the only thing that saved my life. Um, You know, there was, there was moments of, of self-harm in there. Um, I've got two marks on my chest that I have not talked about um, outside of like this. And, and I think another, I think Marty's podcast, I probably talked about it. Um, I don't, I don't think you talked about something on your chest. What, what, what was that? So I, I cut an arrow into my, into my chest and I just cut myself um, just to feel pain mm-hmm. um, because I was so numb, right? There's, you know, I was, I was so tired of feeling emotions and this was probably four or five months in. I was just so mm-hmm. tired, right? Like the, mm-hmm depression and anxiety and PTSD just sucks the life out of you when you don't know how to control it when you don't know how how, to... how long were you there how long were you there and does the arrow did the arrow signify anything or yes so i was there for just over 7 months um and the so this arrow that's here signifies the the Norse symbol of the battlefield uh the the god of tear um because it, I felt, I don't know if I wanted to put any kind of meaning to it. It was, it was where I wish I would have ended. You know, I wish if, I wish I would have ended my life, um, but that didn't happen. So I, I, I made that mark. Um, this one was honestly going to be that as well, but I was like, I just, I just cut. I just made it deep. Right. It was never, it was never intended to, to kill myself in any way. It was just literally intended to, to feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I took, I took a dull knife that I had overseas and I just cut and just kept, you know, one strip at a time. I just, I just kept cutting. Um, and I felt it, felt every, every second of it. Um, and that's just something I haven't talked about very much, but, but definitely something I need to. Um, there's just some, some things I don't know how to actually bring to that att- the attention of people, but it will. I'm obviously, I'm talking about it here. It's not something I'm, mm-hmm. I'm caught up on or anything like that. I know why I did it. And I know <laughs> the, uh, the self-empathy side of me knows exactly what was going through my mind. Um, and I don't, I don't hold any shame of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Fort Knox was dark. It was, it was painful. It was numbing at times. It was, it was exhausting every day, you know, staying up for 23 hours a day, thinking like that, like Mm -hmm. it it breaks you down. Um, and finally coming home, (laughs) I, I became, I, I was not myself, right? Like I thought I was, I thought I could mask the pain by just becoming someone I wasn't, you know, I, I went out to bars with people and I became um, the kind of guy I wish I hadn't become. But again, I hold no shame of it because I know why I was doing it. Um, but I you was, didn't drink. You didn't drink I, in the bars. Right. No. Right. Right. So, right. so I, I, I went out and, and became social um, even though I hated it. 
right? Like I, I would hate being within crowds and I would leave every once in a while. Um, but it was, it was, it was a time in my life that I just wasn't being myself. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it brought me closer to people. Um, my friend Jimbo and my friend Chris, both, they both saw me. They saw the, the, the parts of me that I was hiding. Um, and I still remember one night where, where Chris was, he was drunk. He was drunk enough to be honest with me, which, um, she just looked at me and it was like, that's not you. Like, this is not you. And, and he just kept saying that over and over again. And that, that will always, always resonate in my mind. Um, so it's, you know, it, all of those parts of my story were necessary. Um, but not long after Chris had said that to me, it's probably a year. Um, I found myself having broken up with my ex-girlfriend, just struggling to find any kind of purpose in life, struggling with the the death that I had seen, struggling with the the fact that I would never know why my father committed suicide, why he would why he abandoned me. All of it just was crushing, just literally crushing my life um, because I had never spoken a word about ever. I, I never told anyone, the only people that know, knew about my father's suicide, like what I had seen of it, the part where I knew he was going to die, um, I had never spoken to anyone. The only people that knew my dad committed suicide were, um, were my mom and my sister for, for probably 15 to 20 years. And then finally, I started telling people like, yeah, my dad committed suicide. He's an alcoholic. That was it. I didn't talk about what happened. I didn't talk about the fact that I knew he was going to die. Even my mom and my sister didn't like, I had never explained that. Um, Mm -hmm. So I held that in. You know how uh, we didn't even, you know, I mean, this is long, but um, I really, I mean, I want to know all of this, like (sighs) leading up to your father's death. Mm -hmm. I know you said you felt it or whatever, but did he ever, I mean, was he, you, I think you said he, he was an alcoholic mm-hmm. and how did he actually do it? Where did so he, he go to do this? He, he, I mean, if this is too much, then no. don't answer it, but. No, you're good. This is, it'll come out eventually at some point. Um, he, so he took his hunting rifle um, to a secluded park outside of Janesville. Uh, which is where my where home, my hometown is, um, and I honestly don't know that much about what he did and where he did it exactly. I've never been there. Um, I've always thought about it, but I just I don't know. It it would be interesting to go there and see that. I think I think I should do that at some point. Just haven't had time. Um, I didn't fa- actually find out where it was until I think just before I went to Afghanistan last year. Um, so I just haven't had time to go down there, but, uh, he shot himself in the head, um, with his hunting rifle in his car, uh, in outside of Janesville secluded park. Um, what my, what I recently found out was that my, my grandpa was the one who went and, um, received and cleaned out the car from the police after he had been found. Um, and from that day forth, my grandpa has gone through uh, 
more or less like vertigo spells where he he okay. falls over. Um, mm -hmm. So I think I think they're without really understanding us like my grandpa's story. I think my grandpa actually caught on to some PTSD himself and has never talked about it because I never knew. Sure, yeah. My mom sure, was the one yeah. that told him um, or told me about him. Um, so that's actually that was a couple of weeks ago that I learned about that. Um, wow. and that's, that's truly like, it's heartbreaking for me because I know my grandfather and he's such a man is tough. Like if, if there's a stubborn man in the world, like that's my grandpa, like guy lives alone, he's 85 and he falls all over the place. Um, but he is just so incredibly, um, just, just such a strong guy, but also has the ability to, I, I, empathize with me I think he sees I think he saw my journey growing up and he, he really recognized me for who I am because mm -hmm. him and I have a connection that my mom and my sister do not have with him um, mm -hmm. I think he I think he saw it I think like from from really understanding it now his PTSD I think he understood me better than my mom did and my sister did um, because he treated me a little differently. And even now he treats me a little differently um, because I think he sees that I treat him differently than what my mom and my sister do because my mom and my sister do not like stubbornness, <laughs> but uh -huh. Uh -huh. I get it. Like I get, I see right through it and I can, I can connect with him on a different level, but uh, that's yeah, really my, special. That's very special that you have at your grandfather. So you should do what you do with all these people. <laughs> on social media and how you connect and do it with your grandpa hold his hand and yeah. ask him what he's feeling let him yeah. bring his feelings out you know having that yeah. bond with your grandfather is a beautiful thing but now your dad he didn't leave any notes he didn't leave like anything behind no, no. no. okay he uh mm -hmm. the only thing that that I know that he did was he took out an insurance policy over a year before he ended his life that a couple weeks prior to his suicide, it, it moved beyond the suicide clause. So okay. He, okay. he had clearly planned it for quite some time. Um, yeah. And he, you know, and that, and, and to me that, that tells me a lot of things about who he was. Like a lot of people that don't understand suicide will willingly step up and be like, suicide's incredibly selfish. And I completely mm. disagree. Me having too. known, having known what my father did and knowing what I did, um, it's a selfless act that people do not understand is, is a, for selfish needs. Um, but the Dylan, did you ever did you ever hear the song jealous of the rain I'm jealous yes. of okay that he somebody did a thing on american idol and sang it and the kid was devoting yep. it to his friend who passed away and he was jealous and i was sobbing because yep. i used to feel that way my whole life i was i'm gonna cry i was jealous of my brother i was jealous that he was at peace now yeah. and that he was no longer in pain and why did i have to feel this pain yeah. 
I was in excruciating pain mentally for so many years. And I was jealous. I was jealous. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there. And that song, and that's what I think about. Like, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of the rain. I'm jealous of what comes upon your skin. And I can't listen to that song without sobbing. And it isn't selfish. They're in pain. They're in pain. Like, I know firsthand. I'm not anymore, but that's why I'm so so happy with what you're doing and and i know it's going to save so many people mm-hmm. i know it so that's why i wanted you on here and i'm sorry i'm interrupting but it's okay I, uh, you know that was so necessary thank, thank you again <laughs> so go ahead you said it's not selfish right and i i choose to believe and look at my father in the way that his choice was not for him. He was an alcoholic. He was addicted to tobacco and drugs, severely depressed. He was struggling, all, all of which were, were crushing him in his own way. He had been abused by his father and mother um, very badly. Like it made mine, mine was nothing compared to what he was abused with. His father was an alcoholic. Um, and I truly believe that he, he didn't have the ability to express himself. He didn't have someone, right? Like sometimes I think like, I wish I could have been there for him who I am now. I think I would have saved his life. Um, but he just didn't have that ability to, to express what he had been through. And I think what he chose to do was to take care of his family in the only way that he, he knew how. And that was take out an insurance policy wait a year until the suicide clause ends and give, give them the support that he thought we needed. Um, and he, he ended his life and, you know, didn't, didn't understand what it would do to all of us. Um, and that's always, you know, that's, that's how yeah. I choose to, to believe it. I think, I think that's, that's just what, that's what was going through his mind. He didn't, he didn't see a path forward. He didn't see the potential that he had in himself. He saw, he saw the pain that he was causing us. He saw the, he saw what he was doing to my mom with, with his alcohol abuse, with his, with his depression, with all of it. And he saw no other option, but to give us the best life that he could give us. And that was money mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and i don't how can that be selfish you know in my mind i don't i don't see it you know and i think i think so many people resonate with that in terms of of choosing suicide is that they see only the pain that they cause people only the burden that they cause people that it's so it's so easy to see the burden on people and it's so difficult to see a path forward when you, when you feel guilty for the burden. Um, and that's, that's why I do what I do. Right. Like that's because Mm -hmm. there is more, there is people Mm -hmm. out there that are going to be better than I am right now. Right. There's, there's people that have much better stories than I do and, and much better understanding of, of where they can take that story. And if they don't, 
make the choice to survive and to live like I did, then that will always be lost. And you will never know, you will never know the full potential of who you are until you make the choice to live and to live for the purpose of living. And that's, you know, that's, that's where I'm at in, in, in how I see all of it is that I had to, I had to see that my selfless thought of suicide was not the right way. And I was lucky enough that I had the father that I did to see in the moment that I chose suicide, that my choice was wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm so happy you're here with us. I am very grateful as well as all the other people that you touch every day in your beautiful words, in, in everything that you give. Uh, I'm talking from TikTok, really, from what I see of you, but it's a lot. I mean, you, you post beautiful things every day. Um, and like I said, your demeanor, the way you approach it, is very gentle and loving and you're going to see this people you're going to feel it and i am a very um i'm an empath uh i feel people's energy i have this that gift also i feel that it is gift sometimes it may not be but i feel that from you 100 percent. you have the light around you you're you're a beautiful person thank and you. i thank you so much for being with me um we did talk a lot um i, did. <laughs> I mean i would if you want to come back you can come back but like i was it. saying in the beginning people's unfortunately attention spans aren't that long which we need to work on people we need to work on that <laughs> um have patience have patience but where can people uh reach you where are the best places to get in touch with you dylan well, the, if you want to directly reach me, um, I have a text platform now that is just beautiful that I put, I put out daily inspirational and, and self-development focused, um, like texts. I, I literally, I write the text the night before, um, and I, and I schedule it for, for morning time and people get that. And I get, I just put up an Instagram live or not an Instagram live and Instagram TV, um, of one of the responses that I get just truly deep responses that are so beautiful. I help people every day with that. And what that is, is more or less, I send out a text to everyone and they can all individually text me back. And I read through I those every, every day, every night. Um, I respond when I can, um, I respond to depth, but if you want to get on that, it's one six Oh eight, uh, three, three, six, four, four, eight, zero. Um, again, one six zero eight three three six four four eight zero. Just shoot me a text. All the information, all the information will be below. So Perfect. you guys don't have to remember this now. It'll be below. <laughs> and go ahead. Any where else? TikTok. But, if, but to to just finalize that one, if you if you text me, the first one will be. I think the first two will be automatic replies. But then after mm -hmm. that, I'm the one texting. 
um, oh, cool. on TikTok, uh, Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N underscore Sessler. Um, same on Instagram, Dylan underscore Sessler. I've got Facebook, just look up Dylan Sessler. Um, I've got a Facebook group, hashtag defy the darkness, all one word. Um, that is a support group to, to help people of, of varying different kinds of, of difficulties, of varying different kinds of adversity, help each other through that. It's a positive support group. Um, oh God, I'm, I, on, on my Instagram and my TikTok, I've got a link tree of everything. I'm selling t-shirts right now with my, my future book title, Defy the Darkness. And then on the back, it has an American flag with one line down the middle that says, no one fights alone. Um, I cannot I wait to get those. Those actually, the ordering ends the 31st. So I don't know if you're going to put this out before that. Um, I'm going to try and get this out um, tomorrow or maybe the next day. No later okay. than that. So you might, so. If, if you watch this right away, you might be able to jump on that and go, go buy a t-shirt. Um, I think I, I will definitely have them. I will definitely sell them again. I just don't know when the, they wanted to do a two week ordering. So so Dylan, just a question though, if I go to your link tree and copy that URL and I put it on, that has everything, all your information yeah. in there, like sure your does. TikTok, your, okay. So I might just do that. Yep. Um, and then they can have, get everything from you without a million things. So hang out for a second. Sure. As usual, guys, all my information is going to be below and, um, I'm going to leave you my Google number for anybody who has any, um, feedback about the show, anybody who wants to be on the show or if anybody wants to, to chat with me, I'm available. My number is 609-429-4058. I always um, talk about the one thing that I promote on my show. I'm an ambassador and affiliate of the Aurora Bar. It's a nutritional bar. Um, and it's owned by two young people in Minnesota that I absolutely adore, Jake and Rachel. The one thing I love about this company is they give 10% of their net proceeds to feed the hungry children worldwide. That was one of the reasons I, you know, started following them, but I'm very, very picky about my food. It's the only packaged good thing I eat. Um, it fits any diet. It is vegan but it has very high protein, 19 to 21 grams for each bar, 11 to 13 net carbs, no artificial sweeteners, uh, put together by coconut oil, which is really good for your brain, people. Coconut nectar, blackstrap molasses, um, and Himalaya salt. And I would be great, greatly appreciative if you guys use the link below, because that will help me and it will help the, their company. And on that note, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I am so honored that you uh, are here, not with me physically, but you know, that you're here and uh, maybe you come back again. I know there's a lot more to the story. I know there is, oh, yeah. but um, for sure. love, connect, love connecting with you and everybody please follow him on TikTok. If you are on TikTok, he's great. And on that note, everybody have a wonderful and blessed day. Take care. Yeah.